Welcome to The Naked Truth, real talk about West Coast Wang. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And this is the second part of our conversation on judging with the amazing Gary Jobst. We talk with him about the World Swing Dance Council, his judge training program, his advice for competitors, and yes, we do talk about swing content. Take a listen and enjoy. What, what do you think about the, um, the World Swing Dance Council, how it has changed their rules and point system over the years, and what impact, if any, uh, do you see it having on competitions? Um, well, the World Swing Dance in general, if it wasn't for the World Swing Dance Council, I think that we would not have nearly as big of a dance scene as we do. Um, even though it didn't necessarily, um, you know, it led to some hardship, obviously, over the years. There's been too much focus on points. Uh, people have gotten to the point where they kind of, they um, they validate their entire existence by how many points they get or if they get points on a weekend. And I hate that. Mm-hmm. Um but, I mean, Deborah, you and I have seen this dance blow up all over the world. I mean, Eric, you and I don't have a lot of background, so that's, I'm not saying that you don't, but, you know, uh, Deborah and I, we've known mm-hmm. each other for probably 25 years. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, we remember when there was one event over in Europe, you know, um, <laughs> and, I, and I think I actually think I ran the very first international Jack and Jill in Mexico when I did my Jack and Jill at the, the, the gringo getaway thing I Oh, yeah, that that's was right. Back in the, I forgot about that. It might have been the very first international yeah. Jack and Jill. Uh, but um, so I don't think with it, we would have had the competitions. We would have had the Europeans coming over here in the beginning to try to get the points so they could go back and be the first all-star in Europe, you know, uh, which just they were had the flexibility to travel. You know, so I think now it's less of an issue. I know this sounds crazy, but um only because now there's more events that people can go to. So they don't have to be, it's not all about the Europeans being able to travel to the United States to be able to get points. And then they get to move up and the ones that can't travel don't, you know? Um, but, you know, I, I think we have too many events. Um, I think there's some events that need to focus on the social and not as much on the competitions. Right. Um, there are more events popping up like that, by the way. Yeah. And that's a great thing. Um, and there's events that have great social and focus on the social while also having competitions. Um, and they just say, we're done. We're going to get, we're going to get this out, knocked out. Every competition will be knocked out as quick as possible. No spotlights. Everything's going to go straight to heated finals, get it done, get it knocked out. I mean, like for example, Charlotte Westy fest, um, <laughs> but, shameless plug, <laughs> shameless plug. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that, that you, you got to understand your community and you've got to understand the people that are going to be at the event to know. But back to the World Swing Dance Council points thing, um, Deborah, you probably know why I, I'm a fan of what they've done with most of the points, because that recommendation, I was one of the people that actually recommended that after a big and long conversation with a lot of other chief judges, that whole idea. Not everyone agreed it agreed with the idea, but like the idea of having the, the tiered as far as a minimum required and a maximum you have to. That was something that we needed. Well, I think um, we needed that because the, 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 the community was growing. And, you, and, and to prevent the people that were saying, I'm going to stay in this division until I win three times or whatever it might be. You know? um, and, and what happened was the, there's a few knee-jerk reactions that they had in the beginning, or not in the beginning, but you know, a few years back where they had somebody who was in the novice division with 90 points, but they hadn't won yet. And so when they realized that, they're like, oh, my God, we have to change that. And so all of a sudden you have a win, you're out. It's like, no, wait a minute. Or you have so many points, you have to go. 
So you have somebody who's a one point wonder and novice who plays who finals 15 times and now they have to move up to intermediate. That was a bad decision, but thankfully they changed that. Um, I know this is not something that's going to make people really happy to hear, but I think that's okay. um, I like the all-star change. Um, I've always had this kind of position on that is if you think about, I always make the comparison to sports. All-star is something you have to earn your way into every year. Mm-hmm. Once you've been an all-star for five years, seven years, 10 years, then you're probably going to be inducted into the hall of fame. Hall of fame is our champions, right? All-star is something you should have to continuously earn or continue continue to prove that you deserve to stay there. Mm-hmm. And I realize that some people have to take a break. Some people can't be as active, but at the same time, you know, if, if someone, if you're a, 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 a major league baseball player and you get injured and you have to take a year off, guess what? You're probably not going to be in the all-stars. Not that right. year. You don't get voted in just because you were great last year, you know? So I think that that concept is good. I'm glad they put in the idea about being able to get back in without having to start back all over again. Oh, right. um, they've made some good clarifications recently with that, which I'm very happy with. Um, so I like most of it. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Just there were some clarification things that were needed that were that were finally done. Um, but I think it's a great, and I think it's fabulous that they finally have an international representation at the World Swing Dance Council with Estelle. Except she doesn't live in Europe. She lives here in the States. Yeah, but I think, I don't know if that's permanent or not. Uh, Okay. Uh, I I, I don't know. You know, you've you've mentioned all the really great points of of the World Swing Dance Council. However, you know, the the whole objective originally of the World Swing Dance Council was just to track points and sanction events. And now the World Swing Dance Council has gained lots of power where now they're dictating how events should be run and finding them and you know to be part being part of the world swing dance council there should be something that they give back to community and to events and i and and one of their responses was well you know when we find an event we we gave the money um to yazda and that's a conflict of interest because one of the people that's on the board of Yazda is now also on the board of the World Swing Dance Council. So, well, we were talking specifically about point structure before. That's this is a different side of it, and I agree with you that there are okay. definitely issues as far as that. Now, obviously, in the beginning, they were I, I said that they in the beginning they were a guiding body and they've become a governing body. Right. Um, uh, we did need some governance. Because right, people I, were twisting and bending the rules. And so that's that was fine. necessary. Except and they've gone above and beyond, I think. I, I, I agree with you that in some circumstances they have. And I'm not trying to like play devil's advocate here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't think of any examples right now. But the idea of, of finding when there's no clarification or clarity, that's not good. It should be very obvious if you're going to find somebody it's because they did the deliberate and obvious breaking of the rules when they totally understood them before the event happened. And then they just said, screw that. We're going to do whatever we want. That's different. You know, uh, now they've done some really good things that have made that not necessary or people no longer try to work the angles. Like um, they basically say, as long as you if you're reporting the division, you have to follow these rules. If it's a World Swing Dance Council division, it has to follow these rules. So now a lot of the events have an invitational where they invite somebody from All-Star that won 
to do the invitational, well, right. then they don't report the points for the world's to, for the right. invitational. Right, right, and right. then they can do whatever they want to in that division. That's right. great. Those types of changes where they backed out a little bit, you know, um, and the, the guy, the change they made with, well, with the UCWDC events, because a lot of event directors, you know, that was the one chance that their pro-am students had to compete to meet their three qualifications for the world championships was to compete at their local event with their local pro who also happened to be the local event director. Um, so they backed off of that ruling as well. So, um, you know, there's certain things that they have done that have pushed the envelope and other things that it's like you're looking at it kind of with the Scooby-Doo look like, huh, what were they thinking? Right. You know, um, I think they, they do need to give back more. Um, they need yeah. to give back a lot more um, in a general sense. You know, they need to um, do some, you know, maybe do something at the, at, at the end of the year where they're honoring the top points or but then it goes back to the points thing, you know, whatever it might be. You know, they need to do something more with that. Um, well, I think they, they, need to, they need to do something that helps its members. People pay membership to be part of the World Swing Dance Council, and their members should get some perks. Yeah. And the only perk that they get is that they get their points registered from their event and that they promo now their event on Facebook on the World Swing Dance Council page. Right. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there does. I mean, the, and that's part of, they need to be, I think, to, to a certain degree, they need to be open to suggestions a little bit more and kind of be a little bit more open-minded to things like, um, you know, one of the conversations that's been happening a lot with the Masters dancers is the idea of splitting the division and finding a way to track points for both for an upper level and a lower level. And there's been a lot of conversation about that. And, you know, the first time that was brought up to the World Swing Dance Council, they're like, no. And that's like, okay, well, that's getting bigger and bigger in the Masters divisions. There's more and more people in it. Mm -hmm. And there's more and more of us pros that are actually getting up into that age bracket that, you know, we want to see something happen or you're going to lose a lot of us, mm -hmm. you know. And, and, and so, I mean, we're hoping that they're going to start to listen a little bit more on certain things. And, you know, uh, I haven't been to a World Swing Dance Council meeting in a while uh, because I haven't been to the U.S. Open the last couple of years. But, you know, it's uh, um, it's definitely uh made some interesting changes, uh, a lot for the better and some that not so much. Right. How much do you see the changes that they're making affecting events and competitions that you're working at? Um, I see a lot of all-stars stressing out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, going back and go, wait, is it three years yet? Oh, crap, it's been three years in one day. Oh, damn, I got to get another point, you know? Um, I, you know, the funny thing is, is I'm in that exact same boat. I mean, I, I've got... You know, I, I barely qualify for All-Stars based upon points that I got just before they changed the rules. So, you know, um, but I don't compete very often. So it's kind of a, a little weird thing. But I think it, um, I think it's really kind of leveled the playing field a little bit. You don't have people that are going, oh, I, I got to move out. I'm, I've got to get my next point to get out. They're like, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to move out when I'm ready or when I have to. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't go, I've got my 15 points. I'm, I'm going to leave or... Uh, I think the biggest problem with our with the World Swing Dance Council points and levels in competition overall that people are not considering enough is I'll use a sports analogy again. Um, Eric, what sport do you play other than dancing? Tennis. Perfect. So you're never going to make it to Wimbledon. Quit. Never play tennis again. Because you're never going to get to Wimbledon. Mm -hmm. Would you stop playing tennis because you're not going to get to play at Wimbledon? 
No, though I might not or the train US as Open, hard as I would. Or any of that. <laughs> so, but you're not going to quit playing tennis because you can't make it to the top of the, of the tier, right? Right. You're going to be okay in your local circuit. You might play tennis in a club competitions and stuff like that and be absolutely okay with that. Right. And you're not going to quit playing because you're never going to be at the best of the best. Mm-hmm. But we have people that make it to advanced and then they stagnate and they go, ah, I'm done. They just quit dancing, quit competing altogether. And they literally quit dancing because they're not going to make it to all-stars. Well, the, don't you think that's because their, their, their objective is, is wrong? And, and uh, you know, when I come into dancing because I, I love the dance, right? And if, if points aren't there or whatever, that doesn't change the fact that I love the dance. I think people's perspective is skewed a little bit because of the point system. Well, but I think it's also skewed based upon when you came into the point system. Uh huh. You know, um, I think I think you were there when the very first time they came out with the points, they yes. actually backdated it. A lot of yes. people don't know this, but people like me have, and Deborah, I'm sure, have points that are older than the World Swing Dance Council. Correct. Um, because what they did was they took like three years of event results and loaded mm-hmm. all of those results into points. So that when the when that started, you didn't have everybody starting at zero. And right. um, but you know, a, a lot of us, I, I don't even think I have any advance. I, I, I might have advanced points, but that was because they combined an advanced and all star. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have any novice or any intermediate points. And I mean, you know, I, I know another chief judge who had his first newcomer point the year I won the U.S. Open. You know, so <laughs> I mean, it's like, so I mean, it's funny that you think about how long the spread is and differences between how long people have danced. If you came into the scene and you wanted to get out of novice quickly and then you kept challenging yourself and your your uh, quantification of improvement was based upon moving up, then obviously, you know, you get frustrated. But mm-hmm. I think that's not the right way to evaluate it. I think I people need to be more realistic. You can become a better dancer, but still not necessarily continue to move up because and ideally the level of dance is going to continue to move up as well. And if you just keep up with it, guess what? You're going to ideally you'll stay right there. Now, maybe once in a while you'll place once in a while you'll final once in a while you'll win, but you might not get enough points to continue to move up. Right. Right. So switching gears a little bit, um, you were one of the co-founders of the GPDIA and I'm curious to hear how you uh, came to be a part of the founding of that and what the goals were when you established it. Well, I, I want to be specific about one thing. I, I was not a founder of the GPDIA. I was a co-founder of the GPDIA Judges Certification Program. Yes. Um, Michael Kim has had the GPDA for uh, uh, probably 30, 20, 30 years. Which is the teaching um, one. Right. Yes. Um, well, the GPDIA is the Global Professional Dance Instructors Association. That's what it mm-hmm. stands for. Um, and the GPDIA Judging Certification Program was was specific for judging, especially in West Coast Swing. Um, Ironically, it happened right after I lost the job. I got a phone call out of the blue from Michael. And Michael was asking me if I would like to be involved with him and Phil in organizing and working with uh, uh, and basically growing the GPDA judges training program. And I was floored, uh, first of all, because, I mean, Michael was my first teacher and Phil was one of my first coaches. And to get that call to me out of the blue was just like, wow, uh, yes. <laughs> However, uh, I lost my job a couple of weeks ago. So if I do this, I am going to go hard and heavy 
And this was in literally the beginning of August. And I had my first intensive Labor Day weekend at River City Swing with 18 people in it. Um, and so it happened very fast and got pushed out fast. And the irony of that was when I, I walked into that room and I saw the people that were registered for the class. And half of the people in the class were on the judging staff that weekend. I was like, okay. If, and I was not the chief judge. It's not mm -hmm. like they were sucking up to the chief judge. I was just coming in and doing the training, and that was it. And when I saw that these judges were willing to shell out their own money to come and take training from me, that kind of validated the whole concept to me. Now, um, what the goal originally was and still is in the overall concept is, number one, the judging certification and the levels that we have and applied it basically is a, has a self-filtering uh, process to it. Everybody always uh, hear, hear people t comment all the time. They're like, well, that person's only intermediate. How can they be certified as a judge? Well, no, they've completed the class, but they're not necessarily certified at any level yet. And besides that, unless you have enough knowledge about the dance, you're not going to be an accurate judge or an adequate judge. You have to have a full and thorough understanding of West Coast Swing in order to be able to judge it. And the goal of the program was to help people apply their existing knowledge to a judging philosophy and to show them and teach them different ways to approach it, you know, to use visual scaling methods, to use in some cases people use symbols, different things like that. But and as I went through the program, every time I go through it, I'd have some seasoned judge that would come in and show me something that they did. I was like, wow, I've never seen that before. And that is then added to my program the next time. Mm -hmm. So that because there might be one or two people in that next class that look at that and go, wow, that works for me. And or in, in, and I look at it, and go, wow, that makes no sense to me, but it will to someone. And so I don't discard it. I would bring it in and, and add that to the different ways of showing it. Um, now, although it hasn't been breaking news. Right. So um, the interesting thing is about it is that uh, my the judging program is no longer uh, uh, affiliated with the GPDIA. Um, and that happened a little while back. I'm not sure exactly what. There was no falling out, no problems along those lines. Basically, what happened was uh, Michael was redesigning his website, migrating all the information from his old website to his new website. And when it determined for the website designer that it was uh, the cost of transferring and put, establishing a complete other page for the judges, he was like, wait a minute. So I'm not even teaching this program anymore. Um, basically, he did two of them. Um, we did one with Phil, Michael, and I, and then I did every other intensive. And so he asked me, he says, Gary, do you want this? And I was like, yeah. It's like, it'd be no more GPDA. It's just all yours. And I said, okay. That's, so that's, you're going to rebrand it. Um, that's the goal. I'm, I'm still kind of working it over in my head as to how I know one thing that I really do want to do, especially with what's um, been going on with all the judging and NASDAQ and everything else now in the, in the U.S. Open is I want it to become a focused on social competitions only. So it's just to help people learn how to judge Jack and Jill's and Strictly Swings. Major heated competition. It's not about spotlight training at all, um, except for the fact, of course, spotlight Jack and Jill's occasionally or Strictly's occasionally. But the idea is, is how to work with large groups and how to work with, uh, with sometimes crazy numbers. And now, you know, to a certain degree, it has to be reorganized as well because now we have tablet systems that everybody has to use. 
So now ideally we want to have, you know, a system that they can get familiarized with those systems as well. You know, you know and that um, was the goal. I'm not a fan of the tablets. <clears throat> um, I don't want my results fast. I want them correct. And I find that, so, that I, I've, I've paid attention in the last year or two. Um, and I've noticed that people get lost in the shuffle and don't make a final because of those tablets. Because I don't care how you how you slice it. There's too much information on the tablets and too much time trying to, you know, every once in a while you'll click on, on a person and it doesn't click and you have to keep clicking it so it registers. And yeah. it takes way too much time. And, and there's I don't care how, you know, many times they override this, you know, and look at this program. I don't think it'll ever be as effective as using, you know, um, uh, uh, paper for prelims because paper, I can, you know, keep my eyes on, on a couple and still write and quickly look, you know, back and forth. And, and I, I don't believe that tablets, are, I don't think they'll ever be good for prelims, especially since heats are getting larger and larger and larger. I don't well, want I don't my think, results you know, to fast. be specific. I don't think heats are getting larger and larger. I think the competitions are getting larger. The heats are staying. The dance well, floor can't I, get bigger. There's just so, more yeah. competitors. Yeah. yeah. Period. And and I, I feel it's a disservice to competitors, um, especially when we have there are a lot of judges on the circuit who who aren't fast judges in general, even with a piece of paper. And now the tablet hinders their their judging that much further. Well, um, <laughs> I, I, I can't disagree with that. Your 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 last point there. Um, I will disagree with the never be as good because I think uh, right now there's a lot of this. There there the, there's being some issues that are being worked out. Um, I wish there's a lot of things that if I could design my own tablet system that I would put it in, and that was one of the things that um, I was talking about is if. You know, since I've literally done my judges training and had 25 different judges come in and tell me how they like to judge it, I would love to be able to have all of those different th types of things incorporated in the judging thing. And, and in an ideal world to me, and, and think about how this would work and make your, your opinion change, if you were able to have a unique login that saved all your preferences and you could go up to the top of the page and go, hide this, hide this, hide this, I want to see this and this and this, I want a box for notes. But it saves it so the next time you come back to judge with that system, you sign on and it's all exactly there, right the way it was the last time you used it, with different names, obviously. I still you didn't think have this, to try to reuse it. Now, I think after there's the still overstimulation. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's, there's overstimulation in our entire world nowadays. <laughs> um, but I, unfortunately, um, I, I think it's one of those things that it's like if you don't hop on the train, it's going to run you over. Um, because it's, it's where it's going everywhere. Well, I understand um, that. So what I'm trying to say but is it's that it's got to get better, right? If, if you're going to use the tablets, you have to have less information on it. So it's the most efficient that you can be as a judge. Yep. I, I'm sorry, but uh, in a prelim, it should be yes, no, maybe. And instead there's all these numbers at the top and you've got unique scores. And yes, you can, if you want to pick 15 finalists, you can all give them, you can give them all a 90. And then after that, you can you can lower the score so you, and three unique scores so you have alternate one, alternate two, alternate three. But that's still more information and more time 
on a tablet when you can be spending more time watching the dancer? Mm-hmm. Why not well, just have um, those tablets in the back? We do it on paper. We go in the back. We quickly enter it. Boom. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing that we see as far as errors is in, in, you know, data transposition, you know, the human error of entering in the data. But, um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things about just getting used to it. You know, I know it sounds strange and I, and I, and I don't want it to sound like it's meant to be dismissive in any way. But, um, you know, I, I, well, you know me, Deborah, how I chief judge. I give everyone raw scores and everyone has unique scores on the entire floor. Every person, if I have 120 people in a competition, they all have unique scores. Yeah, but how long does it take to write that as, as opposed to trying to hit that unique score that sometimes it's it doesn't whole, register? It's a whole lot. Now, that's a different issue. That's a network issue. That's somebody who doesn't have their, their hotspot or their Wi-Fi router in the right place in the ballroom. It's all the way up in the corner near the judges. No, I think it's a tablet it issue. Like, it's a well, sensitivity. I mean, we, you touch it with the, with the stylus and it, it doesn't register. You have to like kind of do it like three times. And it's like I'm spending time looking at that, you know tablet doing well, we, that three we times a, we had a problem at a, at a recent event that i was judging at where basically the judges would do that and all of a sudden after they did that then its system would refresh they touched it five times and all of a sudden the system would refresh five times which is and also a was, problem was the network the network was actually slowing down and if they kept pressing the button while the system was still working it wouldn't refresh properly so again i mean that's not something that we really need to get into that far but i think what we're going to find is as we get more serious they need to have a higher a much more robust network in the ballroom for this tablet systems. They need to be willing to spend a little bit more money on the faster processors on the tablets instead of going for the cheaper tablets. I think all of those things. And, you know, and I think it's going to get easier. Um, I can, you know, judge faster on a tablet system than I ever could on paper. Um, And, and that's judging both sides. So. We're not talking about you, though. That's the, that's the difference. Because I'm a fast judge on paper and on tablets. Yeah. But not everybody's fast. And and here's the other thing. Like we said before, like Trudy Thatcher has said this. I don't want my results fast. I want them correct. Well, I mean, yeah, they, they do. I mean, as long as the systems are, are set to the point where they're keeping up with the data that's being entered in, you don't have to hit the button three or four times. And it's all quick as see. And But, Deborah, this goes back to what I said before about the idea of to the, the detriment of the dancer versus the benefit of the judge. If it's the detriment of the dancer, then I don't want it. You know, I need to weigh the two. And to me, if we can improve certain areas of the systems, it will be easier to judge and the results will be faster. And if we can actually get both of those things to happen, not easier to judge, easier to score as a judge, to write and to actually give your scores, I think it will be easier to do that and it will be quicker and what's happened as the contest contests get bigger, we run into more and more social dance time. And I still see that if I see us getting to the point where we can have a novice division with 100 couples going from prelims to semifinals to quarterfinals to finals and doing all that within two hours. Right. So now we're talking about a different animal because now we're talking about speeding up competition so that we can get more social dancing. And it's like. We, we still want to have a good outcome in competition. This is not like people enter and pay money yeah. and they want, they want to be looked at and, you know, and, and, and know that they, their dance was actually looked at. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's what I'm yeah. saying. I'm saying it shouldn't take away from that, but if they're getting just as much time on the judge's mind and just as much of the judge's attention 
and all of that, and it's not taking away from the amount of time the judges are able to do what they need to do, and it's also tabulated quickly, then I don't see a negative. As long as those issues are resolved. So if your training is preparing people to use these tablets, um, it sounds like your focus on these big heats is partly designed to make sure that people can do it uh, faster and more accurately, right? You don't have a lot of time yes. when you have a lot yeah. of competitors. Um, I don't want people to have to judge quickly and poorly. I want them to be able to judge accurately and to take as much time as they need to do it with the system that they're given. Mm -hmm. But I don't want the system to hold them back. Right. Um, has the training that you do, I guess, formerly of the GPTIA, but um, have you noticed a difference for the quality of judging as a result of that program? And do you notice people going through that program getting hired more? Because one of the things um, we've talked about is people getting trained, but not necessarily getting hired. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I will say, no, number one, I, I, I have seen, I can't say quality of judging, meaning that I, I, I think what the benefit that I have seen is the judges seem to be more focused and more organized in their thoughts. I don't see the judges as scattered that, I, that have gone through that program. And they're not like frantically trying to do it because it's, it helps them to develop a systematic approach to judging, right. which they didn't have before. Because it used to be, oh, wait, you're an all-star. We hired you to teach a workshop. Here's a clipboard. So but, I wait, think it, what do I do with this? So a lot of those all-stars or advanced dancers, before that happened to them, they came to this program. Mm -hmm. So it made that transition a lot easier for them. I, I think it's important to clarify because I think we have a misconception then of what this judging certification program is because when I hear judging certification, it means you're certified to judge. And basically it should mean more like it gives you a, a, a specific t a set of tools to uh, use your knowledge in a more effective way. And if, and did you, did you ever way. read our mission statement? No, that's basically exactly what it said. Um, which, of course, I'm going to have to read you the whole thing. And, and uh, you know, honestly, Deborah, you and I are friends. We've known each other forever. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people at, and I, will, I, I want to say this without getting in too much trouble, but a lot of... This is of the naked the, truth, by the way. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people like you passed judgment before they looked at everything. I, and I, I'm going to tell and you no matter right how now. Much, I, no matter how much I tried to explain. But here's the thing, your approach and how you explained it is not exactly how you explained it just now. And maybe the reason why you explained it better now is because now you've been doing it longer and you've understand how you wanted the program to be. Well, I mean, if I talked to you the, after my first judging intensive instead of after my 40th, yeah, I, I, that's probably true. Right. I don't know how early in the program you and I talked. Oh, uh, right in the really beginning. Early. Yeah. So, you notice how many times I've said we need to catch up on what's going on and we haven't yet. So, yeah. <laughs> well, here and, we are. <laughs> and, and but the funny part of that is, is that a, a lot of folks and, and again, this is understandable. You would be amazed how many people went through the judges training program and then got grilled by our top tier pros. Because and again, at the end, and at the end, they basically went, wow, that sounds good. Because what right. they were worried about was that I was telling them, you know, focus on this style. I want you to look for old school West Coast swing. This is well, this is West Coast swing. This is not. But it goes to the, the um, it actually attached itself to the GPDIA process of teaching, which is to help you to become a better teacher, not to teach you what to teach. It's help is to teach you how to teach. And the, uh, the, the, 
judging program that I helped develop was to teach you how to judge, not to tell you what to judge. And I, and I think I'm glad you said this on, on the podcast because there is a misconception out there of what it actually is. I absolutely agree with you. Right. So when um, you rebrand yourself. Yeah, you'll... I want to get rid of the certification. I, I want to, I, I'm trying to figure out how to better do that. Um, Continuing education. Well, that's too generic. Um, but I mean, I, I, I the, that would be something that needs to also happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, not necessarily a certificate. Like a, I got to, I don't even want to talk about it as far no, as we don't what have I want to call it. Well, let's just move I don't on to know, the next question. Because <laughs> I don't know yet, but I want to get rid of the idea of being a certified instructor. Right. right? And that's or a, great a certified idea. judge. All right. So, because most of us are just certifiable anyway. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. So we're going to switch gears for uh, now. So what do you think about um, the U.S. Open's approach to addressing judging and swing content this year? Bye. (laughs) (laughs) That ends the interview. Uh, (sighs) And remember, I like what they are trying to accomplish. I have been saying it for, in fact, I had a discussion with Sonny three years ago when I first started doing GPDIA because the goal of that was back when we had it originally, it was going to be level one, two, three, four masters, you know, and all of that all the way up through and masters and grandmasters. And in order to become a master certified judge, you had to judge all divisions that would be available at the U.S. Open. That include classic showcase cabaret theater arts teams, everything, and Lindy, uh, everything. And I was talking to Sonny about helping me to gather videos of all the different styles of swing so that we could actually have that at the class and use that as part of the class to help the judges to identify the individual styles of swing. And I asked him, was there ever an official list of dances that qualified as swing? And he said, yes, there was. And he, w- he was looking for it. He didn't, never did get a chance to find it. And seeing that the world, that the U.S. Open and came out with a list of dances that are considered swing, I think that's great. Except I they consider that, pony, pony swing. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a different, yeah, that's that's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know how to do pony. So, um, so do I. I didn't have to go find a video to throw it into my spotlight in a, a requirement in a Jack and Jill recently that I heard about. Um, I don't know. <laughs> that's besides that's a different story. Um, yeah. Um, well, I mean, th- there was one that popped up. It, it was, I think they called it Filipino swing. It's hustle. Oh, please explain that. Oh, hustle. It's hustle. Okay. <laughs> so there's a lot of dances that are actually called swing, but really don't have the nuances of swing or the elements of swing. But Again, I think that the idea is that the judges at the U.S. Open should have an understanding of, of the different styles of swing. I think mm-hmm. that that's a good goal. Um, I'm not really thrilled yet with the idea of the app. and I think it's one of those things that they should try to implement and do trial runs on it before they implement it hardcore. Right. I think part of the big mis- – anytime you make a drastic change with rules, it should be run on a trial basis first. You should try to find the impact that it's going to have, whether positive or negative, before you actually go hardcore with it. I mean, okay? doesn't don't everybody like every corporation, every business, anything that they're trying to put out there, test drive things? Yes. 
And, and I don't mean testing as far as just dry runs. I mean testing them in real-world situations. Right. You know, where you literally and, – and, and I do understand, and it makes sense. There was a concern that I've heard a lot of people talk about. It. Actually, I think it was on one of your podcasts, the idea about this human error, you know, the, the delay in pressing the button versus releasing the button and how much that can actually go from basically being disqualified to, you know, one placement drop. The difference is so so minute. But mm-hmm. I, I – and I also can see what I've, I think that was mentioned by the U.S. Open was the idea that when they went back and did video review and it was about swing content, the actual percentage that they observed dropped. I could definitely see that happening because you're able to actually watch the entire thing move by move and actually be focusing on that percentage. But I think what they need to do is they need to set some guide. The confusion with swing content, to my mind, is this. Well, not, not just, just the dances, but even a pattern structure. So if I start a tuck and I do the first four beats of a tuck and then I break into something else and then I do an anchor, how much of that tuck percentage was swing? If I did the first four beats and then a four beat break and then two beats and an anchor, mm-hmm. is that 60% swing within that one pattern that actually became a 10 beat pattern or does Valid. none of it count? Or does none Valid. of it count? Valid. So how do we do that and how do we measure all that? Um, in my opinion, there would be a much easier way to do it, and that is to make the dancers identify it prior to competition. Um, if you think about diving, gymnastics, and uh, you know anything along those lines where they, uh, they have to – oh, ice skating. They have to identify the elements that they're going to put into the routine, and then they basically have the sequence of in order of what patterns they're going to be doing and what movements they're going to be doing from start to finish. And then in that entire sequence, they went through and they wrote percentages. This is where I'm going to break into 16 counts of Balboa. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to do 32 counts of shag, you know, and then they actually have the entire routine mapped out from beginning to end. And they can show pattern by pattern description exactly what percentage of swing is in the routine. And if they break off of that in any way and it's significant, if they were they had to be 60 and they were at 65 with the way it was and they screwed up the routine and lost it. Guess what? If they didn't get back on, they might actually get uh, nailed for swing content because they lost three patterns when they were out when they lost the routine. And that might be enough. So are you saying that you want it to be because because you 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 mix two different things in okay. ice skating and and in diving and 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 all those things that you've mentioned uh, there are required specific elements that need to be in that specific dive to be a specific score and in figure skating for you to get the degree of difficulty to get that specific score yeah. we don't have that in West Coast swing and, and I'm okay with that. What I'm talking about specifically is the, the, the basically where, you know, I mean, again, it's, I'm not someone who's choreographed ice skating routines. This is something you'd have to ask Benji, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I know the routine is totally mapped out. They know this is where they does a triple axle. This is where right. he does a double this. They do a camel. They do whatever all this other stuff is that I have no idea. So the entire routine, when the judges are looking at the routine, they see it, I would assume, that they see the entire routine on paper in front of them while they're judging it. To know what they're required, right. But we yeah. don't. Have, and right. but that's not just about the requirements, also. But well, I think I, that's an, that's an easier because, like you, like what you're saying is, is like, okay, now we're we're gonna we're gonna map out our our routine for you so that you know exactly uh, what it is. And there could be two judges looking at that, and one says you definitely have enough swing content, and the other judge says no, you don't. Well, but if if, if you sit there as a judge and you have a list of their routine and it shows you every move. Like I said, like use that tuck example. So this particular tuck, let's say they did make a decision that if you do, if you start a pattern and then you break off and then finish the pattern, 
like that tuck example, mm -hmm. tuck. And you do the first four beats like a normal tuck, but then you have a four count break in it, and then you go back to the anchor to end the tuck. Now that set counts as 60% of that pattern was West Coast was swing, not West Coast swing, but I'm using West Coast swing as the example just because that's what everybody's so familiar with. So is that pattern 60% West Coast swing or does it not count at all? That decision had, would have to be made first. Well, we also have to um, recognize too that like when, when, we're, when, we're, when we're social dancing or doing Jack and Jill or strictly swing, it's much easier to stay within the realm of swing content. Oh yeah, I mean, right. I don't see and, anybody getting busted in Jack and Jill's or strictly no. swing for swing content violations. Right, and when we're doing a routine, there's the artistry and the creativity that comes involved, and also the interpretation. What's your mm -hmm. interpretation of like this part of the music? Right, and 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 there are some judges that see the interpretation and don't recognize that it's still swing, and vice versa. That is definitely part of the problem. Is that, you know, I mean, not having a, 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 an agreement onto what it is, you know, if I lead an inside role and it ends up being a slow double turn, you know, on, you know, whatever you want to do with it with different arm styling, it's still a double inside role that you right. took eight beats to do because the music had a drag in it. You know, it's still an inside role. And if you can't recognize that as still being an inside role pattern, then there's a problem. In your experience with judging swing content in routines... How often does the swing content aspect significantly impact the outcome of the contest? <laughs> He's thinking. I would say it's different in classic than it is in showcase. Okay, say more. And this is just my first kind of, I've never had this exact question asked of me before. So I'm trying to kind of mull it over in my head mm -hmm. um, because in classic, you know, it, it's classic, you know, it's supposed to have a classic style to it, which means it's supposed to have that feeling of the raw dance, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and again, this is just my very first thoughts in my head that are going through. Sure. Um, and whereas in showcase, you expect it to be a lot more of, a lot more showy, a lot more interpretation, a lot more of stuff that's not the core of the dance. Right. Um, so when you start to get to the point that in a showcase routine, you're going, okay, well, wait a minute, where, how much of this dance actually is swing at all versus in classic, you're expecting most of it to be swing mm -hmm. and recognizable as a style of swing. Right. And in showcase, you're not. You're expecting 40% of it to be not recognizable as swing. Mm -hmm. So does that kind of <clears throat> just kind of sways the way you look at it? I have probably, um, as a judge, I don't give out swing violations very often, but I definitely have. Sure. Um, and in in most cases, when I've given out violations, I can think of two right off the top of my head where I violated them um, to the point of dropping them on swing content was because they had too many spins. Literally, the routine was almost 50% spins. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, when you do an inside roll <clears> after a double, when you get to four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or 10, you're out of a swing pattern. Right. And now we're actually just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And then, oh, great, you did an anchor. But guess what? To me, that once you got past the two spins, 
you know, and maybe to three because some moves you could throw on a triple pretty easily. But once you get to that overboard, now you start backtracking and go, all right. And that's where the app could be a problem. You know, I don't recognize that they're out of swing content until they're so far out. And then you go, wait a minute, that could have started two beats earlier or four beats earlier or two seconds earlier. But now they're definitely not in swing content because they keep going with this for such a long time frame. Right. Um, but it, 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 it had a tendency to be swing. And, and I, there's a term we used to use a lot that I still like, and that is the essence of swing. Mm-hmm. You know, does the routine have the essence of swing? I've seen routines... You know, I, I think I could go back to probably one of Gary and Susan's very first routines. And I watched it, and I was like, man, that definitely has the essence of swing. To a lot of people, it wouldn't look like swing at all. Mm-hmm. But it, to me, it had the essence of swing, and it looked like swing to me, period. And it was no question in my head. Right. Um, so it's that overall feeling of the routine. It's that big picture, again, going back to when I first started judging. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, what is the big picture of it? If I'm sitting there watching the routine going, Okay, I haven't seen anything that resembles the end of a pattern, whether it be Lindy's Shag, um, Balboa, um, you know, West Coast mm-hmm. Swing, East Coast Swing, any of those dances, and I don't recognize what it is. It's just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Where's the swing in this dance? Mm-hmm. And how often do you find that dances like that where we say, I don't know that I'm recognizing what I'm seeing, how often do you find that those routines are successful? I'm asking this question because we've obviously talked a lot on the show about swing content and um, I'm personally kind of coming around to the idea of not, it's not a big deal because I think it's important to have rules and guidelines, but uh, I feel like the response to the changes that are being made is a little overblown. Um, Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think it's great. The U S open is at least with good intentions, trying to do something. Um, but I also looked at the scores from like last year's open. Um, and I just don't feel like the swing violation aspect would have made a huge difference. I also feel like the people who compete, especially at the open, who are likely to make finals because they're seasoned competitors and very experienced with swing are unlikely to really not do swing. Right. So like when we're talking about, using stopwatches and measuring. And, you know, I think what you used as an example is really great of like how much of a tuck pass is, you know, swing. I feel like that applies to a very small percentage of people who are entering the classic division, uh, who are likely to be successful. Yeah. So, um, in a lot of cases, it's going to be the newer dancers, unfortunately, who have less experience that are going to get out there and take too many chances and it's not going to work out. Um, so you live and you learn yeah um, hopefully you know as long as they're uh, willing to actually receive the lesson and give the lesson Um, you know they it's one of those things you know until you burn your hand you keep sticking your hand in the fire right you know people have a tendency to want to keep doing that and you know if the rules are not clear then you know people will push the envelope but Gary Uh, let's be honest because we've been, you and I have been on the circuit for a very long time. This swing content thing has been a problem since I came into the swing community. It's constantly a problem. And I, I can tell you, Deborah, swing content is the reason I won the U.S. Open. <laughs> I guess I remember that year. <laughs> okay. Because, and I went out there in 1997. There was a big hullabaloo in 1996 because of Swassel. 
Um, you know, everything in West Coast Swing was looking like hustle, and they called it swustle. And it was like, and I went out there and did a classic routine in showcase with lifts. Right. But uh, also, was, go ahead. But that was, it was, we didn't do that on purpose. That was the style that my partner and I had. And we put the right routine on the floor at the right time. So but you also have to remember they split up the divisions too. Yes, I know that. But that's not, I mean, I'm just talking about that in general because there were still a lot of top competitors in that division that weren't necessarily the reigning champions or anything. But, right. you know, and that was back when you didn't have the same people winning the U.S. Open every year that you have had for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, my God, I, I mean, you remember this. I remember going to the press box and having 15 U.S. Open champions on the, yeah. on the floor at a time. We, we only have, for how many years have we only had two? Two couples. Right. You know, so... Not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, that's, you know, that's what changes it. You know, that's, it changed my life and I'm not going to complain about it. And nor am I going to focus on that little issue you just mentioned. (laughs) That's beside the point. I still have the dang ring. No, no, no. It's And and the gold jacket that never fit. Right. (laughs) I I, I just think what what I'm trying to get at is that there's no amount of, you know, programs that we can use or, or trying to change anything because this dance is consistently evolving. And I feel like the people who really know about swing content or what swing is are the people that are teaching it, that are relevant on the circuit, that keep competing and all and, and, and all those things. And, you know, I don't I don't need a, a little uh, timer or a, a, a program. Yeah. To, to say that swing, that's not. I can look yeah. at everything and say there's no swing and explain to you exactly why it no. is and it isn't. And and that's what I feel like aggravates me. You no, know, I mean, it, it aggravates a lot of us, Deborah. The, the problem is, is that so many people want quantification of that, that view. They don't necessarily disagree with you, but they're like, show me. Well, show you what? Show you what's in here? Like, I can't do that. So with the way technology is nowadays, people want to see, how did you come up with yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just enough to be violated well, one, but not three or not five or not to up to the bottom is how did you determine the difference? What was your decision there? Quantify that for me. And we can't. You're the only dance that wants to be quantified. Nobody goes <laughs> to a ballroom competition and says how much cha-cha content is in the, that's is not, in the that's dance. Not a fair, that's not a fair uh, comparison, Deborah. Why not? No other dances like West Coast Swing. Listen no to other me. dance morphs like West Coast Swing. No okay, other this- dance has the freedom of West Coast Swing. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you did, you'd be doing those. No, no, no. Here's what I'm going to tell you. You can totally have the versatility in a lead follow cha-cha, but they don't do lead follow cha-cha much. Robert and Robert and I used to do lead follow cha-cha all the time, and we would we would be very you know creative in 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 what we did in the dance. Yes, our dance has a lot of freedom, but it's still based on push pass whip and you should be able to see those things in the dance and if you need something to quantify that we have a problem well but the routines have a lot more freedom than just those patterns not that it's not social and you don't think cha-cha has the, fr- the freedom of doing that in their patterns not as much freedom not as much freedom okay well the, again that's quantifying not nearly it's not us. nearly as much you know and it also doesn't have you know, if you're in the ballroom competitions, they have specific requirements. They're they're restrictive more than they are, um, you know, it's kind of like the opposite extreme. All right, then let's talk about Lindia. They have lots of versatility in their dance. Just like ours. 
Do they? Yes. Just like Don't ours? Don't you watch the top as pros? Much, as much as ours? Have you not seen the top pros lately in Lindy Hop? You know what? How they I, embellish I, I honestly, and, honestly, and syncopate. I, and I know spread. that they have a lot more. Um, there is there's definitely a lot more freedom in the dance now, but it's still nothing compared to what we have in ours. The only reason we have the versatility that we have is because our dance moves with the times. Like as the music changes, we evolve with the dance. But it shouldn't be because we're also we're also influenced by other dances. We've mm-hmm. always been influenced. Yeah, we always have absolutely by, right by other dances. I've been influenced by by Shag, by Lindy Hop, by Hustle when I came into the by ballet tap and jazz. But you can yeah. still see my swing and my dancing. Yeah. Well, and and that's. I think part of the problem with some of the modern styles that people are doing out there is you can't see the swing in their dancing. You see too much of the influence of other stuff. You can't necessarily tell that they're doing swing because they could they basically doing couples contact improv. Right. So do and, we need a program for that? No, we don't. We get good judges. I don't disagree, Deborah, and, and I don't think it's okay. So let me let me kind of explain what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that I disagree with you. I'm saying what the public wants, what the judges wants, what the newer, not the judges, what the newer competitors especially want, because they're of a much younger generation. They want everything to be very black and white. They want to see how you got to it. They want, there's technology available. We can figure this out. Well, you can't figure out everything with technology, but if there's a way to do it, we can. I mean... They've been doing ballroom competitions on tablets for God knows how many years, and we're just getting around to it. And they do fine with it there. Why can't we? You know, so, I mean, that was kind of the whole argument in the beginning of it. But so, I mean, some things were slow to come around to, other things were not. But I'm not saying that I I think every judge should be able to walk out there and go, yeah, you know what? I think that was about 70%. But Mm -hmm. since I think it was about 70 and the the requirement is 70, I'm not going to penalize you. Because it was borderline, that's what we call a swing warning violate or swing warning, swing content warning. Well, guess what? It's supposed to be 70, and to me, that was about 65%. I'm going to go ahead and knock you down 1%. It was an absolute 65% to me. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of, a, I think it needs to be the judges, unfortunately, are put in a position where they're asked to quantify their answer. Okay, and then that's fine to be able to stand behind it. That's well, standing it? behind it and quantifying it are two completely different things, though. Look, if you can't look at a routine and say, I think that's about between 50, 60, whatever, then you think the pro pressing that program is going to teach you how to do that? Because you still have to know how to do that to press that that program. You still have to know when to depress it, when to not press it. Well, you know, I mean, it's obvious that we're not necessarily in agreement on that as far as the different dances. But in my opinion... You know, and one of the reasons why we love West Coast Swing so much is because there's so much more freedom. We don't have the designated structure that they have in the other dances. Um, In those other dances, because there's so much structure, you can easily see when they move from that structure. And you don't think push pass whip is structure? And the rhythm of our dance is structure? It is to a certain degree, but not nearly as much as the structure that they have where they have obligatory patterns and they have syllabus that we don't have and they have all that other kind of stuff. It's not, it's not nearly as, uh, recognizable. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's a lot more, um, I, I keep going back to the term freedom, but, um, there's, there's just so much more individual creativity that is involved in our dance that I don't see involved in any of the other 
formal couples dances. And that's because of our music. Our music changes yeah. and well, people interpret music and hear music differently. Very true. And because of the variety that we dance to, we have that and other dances don't. But it still doesn't take away from that. Just because it's because of different music doesn't mean that it's not it's still there. So maybe we should just and this is just a suggestion. Maybe we should. Let's swing be swing because it's recognizable and strictly swing and Jack and Jill and allow uh, more leeway uh, in classic and showcase for interpretation. And, 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 you know, now it's just based on opinion and let's not talk about how much swing there is then. Well, because because then all of a sudden it's going to just be couple routine and anything. I, you know, I, I, I think that people won't stay. Well, I think here's, here's, you know, if I want to be really, really, um, you know, kind of 30,000 foot view, as far as my, I, I did a post about a year ago that really ruffled a lot of feathers. And I made a, I made a comment that I said, is it time for NASD to, to, to be designated as West coast swing division? But in reality, the end result was maybe we need to have a West coast swing routine competition at the U S open because we don't. We have a swing competition, and West Coast Swing falls in that competition. Well, because it's called the U.S. Open Swing Dance. Right, but that's not open Lindy and open Shag and open other divisions. But the other swing dances have a a dance that they can dance in their competition. Like they're not going to do a West Coast Swing in a Shag competition. You're not mm-hmm. going to do a Lindy in a uh, or a, a Shag in a Lindy competition. I agree with that. That's why and it's called so, the Open. Right, but so we could still have an open division, but also have a West Coast Swing routine division that is yeah. specifically West Coast Swing. Then, then don't call it the open because the whole part of it means that it's open to everyone. But, but here's my dances. question. Here's my question. You're not mm-hmm. taking that away. Right. You're adding something else in. Then now we We're have to have a division for shag. We have t- we have 25 swing dances. Now we have to have 25 divisions. Well, enough, depending on enough, if they get people, how many people are showing up that are doing uh, pony swing, the U.S. Open? We'll see this year, I guess. And if there's not enough. <laughs> it may change this year since it's allowed. And if there's not enough, then they just have to dance in the open swing division. You know, just like, you know, uh, I mean, it's just the idea, like, what happens when you don't have enough comp- competitors? They all get put into one. And they don't get any des- any designation in a specific division. They're just considered one open division. And then it's co- it's comparing apples to oranges. I mean, which is what we're doing now, right? You know, well, it it sounds like the there's two challenges here. One is that we are trying to quantify the amount of swing in a dance in order to tell people who don't have enough swing why they were told they don't. Right. That's essentially why we're doing this, because, again, most competitors have enough swing and they don't get any warnings and it's fine. Um, And then the other thing is, is that having in the rules that there is a set specific percentage of swing causes all these issues, because now people have to say, well, it had 55 percent. I don't think it had 60 or you know what I mean? Like we start getting into. To your point, Gary, like how to quantify the amount of swing because we have a guideline that has a specific quantity that's required. And right. we talked with um, Charlotte a little while ago in one of our episodes, and she kind of casually mentioned an idea that I really kind of like, which is let judges watch and say, 
this had enough swing or not. Like you could almost do it binary. And if enough judges say you don't have enough swing, then those judges can say why. And that feedback can be given to the competitors without having to sit with a stopwatch or to your point, like say, well, this tuck was 60%. Like we're getting so in the weeds that it's becoming stressful for both judges and competitors. So going back to what you said, what's easiest for the judges and what's easiest for the dancers, right? Like how do we reduce the burden? And unfortunately this is getting more best for the dancers, best for the dancers and easiest for the judges. Right. Um, it's right. not necessarily easiest for the for the dancers. The easiest thing for the dancers would be to say, "Do whatever you want." Sure, uh, but this is not necessarily best for the dancers or easiest oh, yeah. for the judges. And nope. I feel like I, the, I know, we need to find some I, other way. To I don't know to, if I was offered uh, if I was this year. I'm saying specifically this year because mm-hmm. there's so much. Um. there's so much not confusion it's not confusion it's not i don't even know if it's a word there's so much unsurety there's so much uncertainty uncertainty that's the word i needed (laughs) all of this just the word escaped me um that i don't even know if i would accept the contract to judge the u.s open this year Mm -hmm. and any other year i would have jumped at the at the opportunity right you know, I mean, uh, it, it's it, it's it was an honor the year that they did ask me to judge it. Um, but yeah, I just I, I think that uh, I think that their their intentions are good. Um, I just think I, I wish that they would basically do more trial run and actually and basically have people doing it there and comparing it to somebody doing it like what you were saying, Deborah. Oh, yeah, I'm going to watch. I'm going to say if it is or isn't and see how they compare the ones that are using the app versus the ones that are not. Right. So, I don't know. We're in a conundrum. There's, there's no easy answer to that question, no. and there hasn't been for 25 years. Right. Right. That's, the, that's my point. I feel like we're, we're, we're fighting the same argument that we've been fighting for 25 years. And, and, and honestly, it's not like the dance is in dire straits. It's yeah. not like we're, we're going from event to event and we're going like, what dance are we doing? Right. We know that we're, we can, you can well, clearly see that we're all swing dancing. Sometimes we do. Well, no, well, <laughs> I think, again, that's, that's music. And if, you, you know, if you're playing a song, you know, that has, like, it's, it's all lyrical and there's, there's no beat. I mean, what do you expect us to do? Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about our dance that makes it so amazing is the variety of music. Yeah, that we dance to. It has always been that way, you know, and luckily as the years go by, the variety of style we dance to actually just increases. It doesn't decrease ever. Um, we still, I mean, now you've got Selena Gomez with her new, her new Latin songs coming out and everybody else, and we're still throwing those on and everybody's like, well, this is a Latin song. Yeah, but it's still got a good beat. It's got good energy. Right. We can do West Coast Swing to it. So right. what if you can do cha-cha to it or salsa to it? And that's fine. But, you know, if you go back 20 years ago, we were dancing to Love Potion number nine, you right. know, and that was a spotlight song they used for champions. You know, it wasn't just an occasional song. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's always been that way. And what hurts our dance, even on the social front, is when you walk into a ballroom and all the music starts to sound the same. Agreed. Um, and we're going to go to the, the realm of even though the dances are amazing, uh, I get burnt out on the music, whether it be Lindy Hop, um, Salsa, Tango. They're all amazing scenes, but at the same time, the music starts to sound the same. 
Mm-hmm. And we cannot have that happen. Yeah. Again, we go back to what I always say. I feel like it's the it's the DJs that are, you know, they're the ones that are playing the majority of the music. But when we're talking I, I, about routine divisions, that's not the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah but th- that's how we hear music. We hear music at events and we hear I how like, like genre. I, I agree with you to an extent, but I feel like for routines, people are specifically going out and trying to find songs that are not being played on the social dance floor. Okay. I can't, I can't argue with that. I, it was, I mean, I, I laughed there, Deborah, because you said that about the idea of the DJs playing for the floor. I was, um, I was at uh, Palm Springs a couple weeks ago, and Brian was DJing. And it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and the floor was packed. And it was a blues song. And I went up yeah. to him and I said, what are you doing playing blues? Nobody <laughs> wants to dance to blues. Look at that floor. No one's on the dance floor. <laughs> and he liked it. Be like, and then he realized I was kidding with him. Yeah. And then 45 minutes later, he's playing another blues song. The same thing. And these were not the blues songs everyone knew. These were new blues songs. Because mm-hmm. like, there are new blues songs. People. Oh, yeah, there are. Most yeah. people don't even know the Rolling Stones put out a blues album a couple years ago. Yep. And it's an amazing album. But mm-hmm. I walked up to him and said the same thing to him 45 minutes later. Again, the floor was absolutely packed. It's a matter of how you run the mix as a DJ. Victor is great at that as well. And so is, um, so is uh, um, um, hmm? Ruby. Ruby. Yes. Ruby is amazing at that. I'm not, gonna pur- I'm not purposely leaving anybody out. But sure. you know, the idea of having that where you can work people into the blues, a couple blues songs, and then back and work the jazz, every different genre, and mix it up. Yeah, you might have everyone on the floor, but you know – I, I, Deborah, I don't know if you remember the story Kenny Wetzel used to always say about DJing. And he, he was playing at the, the, the press box one night, and he put a song on. This is a story that he, I remember him telling. And he put a song on, and this song was probably 160 beats a minute. Mm-hmm. And the floor was like 90% empty. And the manager of the bar comes over and starts chewing him out for the song he's playing. Like, what the heck is this crap? What are you doing? This is garbage. And mm-hmm. Kenny turns and looks at him and says, looks over at the bar and points at the bar and goes, where is everybody? Getting a drink. They're all buying a drink. Right. That ain't no accident. Leave me that alone. Right. Oh, that's the last part I'm kind of paraphrasing. But, mm-hmm. And basically that manager never again talked to him about anything like that because Kenny worked the room like that. It's like, all right, guess what, folks? This is only going to be a song that's enough for a few of you, but everyone else needs to go to the bar and get a drink. Mm-hmm. You're going to sit this song out because you don't like it or you don't want it. You don't have to like every song. Of course not. Of course, if that went on for two or three or four songs, he would sit there and stop the music in the middle of a song and go, I'm not playing no concert. Get on the dance floor and dance. Right. <laughs> but that was Kenny in his, you know, in his ultimate Kennyisms. So Right. And I, I also anyway. think it's important. I, I think I've said this on a couple of podcasts. There, there are some DJs who uh, connotate old with bad and good music is timeless. Yes. A good song is a good song. It doesn't matter when it came out. If it came out in 1960, it's still a good song now. There's no Otis Redding song that I listen to and I go, ugh, so old I can't listen to it. Or or any Lou Rawls song or any, you know, Diana Ross song. I'm just using examples. Good music is good music. And I feel um, people are trying to find the newest, the latest, the newest, the latest. And just because it's new doesn't mean it's good. Maxime and Tori's dance they put they posted on 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 uh, YouTube or Facebook about a year or so ago was them dancing to 
I think it was Fly Me to the Moon, or what are they all Frank Sinatra? Or Night and Day, maybe. I mean, uh, that was just absolutely an amazing dance, and everyone absolutely loved watching it. It's like, that's proof right there. I mean, mm-hmm. that song, and those, they're not they're not old-time dancers. They're not, uh, right. you know, right. some people nowadays look at them as being old school, but, I mean, you know, you and I, Deborah, remember Tori being out there at the Open again when she was, like, five. Right. You know, well, but... And it was great to see at the open this year that there were, you know, songs Otis Redding and, you know, right. more blues. Oh, yeah. Um, so the music the comes song, in cycles. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like Sinatra. Was, yeah. Yes. Totally. So Absolutely. it comes around. I mean, oldies and goodies. To, the, to your point, Deborah, of the music not being conducive for swing, um, not that I would restrict it, but there are rules in like, there were rules in figure skating for a long time about their music and what they right. could use for their routines. Right. Um, I mean, if, if we identify music as the problem, because I do believe that people are going and seeking out new music for the routines for the most part, like the ones where we're like, Oh, it's very lyrical. Like somebody had to go and dig around and find some song that you're not hearing on the social dance floor. Um, and, and that I think is a part of it that we're, they're pursuing new music for new art and right. doing new things. Or- and you see it happen even more often where people are looking for different versions of a song that people are familiar with, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, and that it used to be, you know, like you go back to your routine, Deborah, where it was two different, ver- a remix version. That was what everyone did. Now it's a remake. It's a new artist. It's a slower right. version. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, um, like the routine that Jordan and Tatiana did, you know, it was, uh, the song from, um, Great. That's not helping you at all. You know that song that did the da 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 da. Yeah, I'm kidding. Which um, costume? <laughs> costume. Oh, I don't, it was the one that was a song from the movie. Um, oh, Inception. Okay. It was no, a song from Inception. Not Inception. No, it was the the weird uh, um, superhero uh, movie um, with all the criminals that got out of jail, jail to become. Oh, Suicide Squad. Right. Suicide um, Squad. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was the song that? Uh, I know what you're talking about. It's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> See? I told you. <laughs> right. But there's other great versions of the same song, and everybody just remakes them and pops them on YouTube nowadays, and you just go rip the songs off of YouTube or SoundCloud or something. Heathens yeah, by 21 Pilots. Heathens. Heathens, yeah. Heathens, right. Yep. Right, but, but the, the, the key word is remake. They're finding a remake because the song is still good. They just want a remake to be fresh. And to have a little bit of variety in the song over something that everybody is so familiar with, a combination right. of both. Familiarity with not um, overplayed. But I, I'm also a firm believer that for the most part, nothing beats the original. But that's just me. For the most part, yeah. <laughs> that's if the original is good enough to cover. Then it's. But a, in some cases, it doesn't have to beat the original. It just has to be a different interpretation than sure. something that's, you know, Absolutely. especially if it's a song that's but was way overplayed. Right. You know. All right, so. and I, and you know because we talked about artistry before, and 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 I and I think art is 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 important. I, I, I don't think that there are enough judges on the circuit who can appreciate art and still recognize good quality of movement and recognize swing dancing and, and all of those things. Cause when I see, yes. when I see artistry and good dancing and, and quality of movement, all these things, you know, the first thing I do is I go up to the couple and I'm like, that was amazing. Thank you so much for, you know, putting that, you know, out on the floor. And, and I think the, the, there are a lot of judges who aren't as passionate about dancing, say, like I am, which is I'm a judge that should be on a panel because I'm for the dancers and I'm passionate about them. 
I and still I remember your reaction to Mario and Angel's uh, routine in Dallas that night. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> when you walked up to you walked up to them and smacked them and said, "How dare you make me cry? I'm judging. I'm not supposed to be crying." Damn it! Right. And, with and, a lot more with a lot more direct words, but um, I was filtering. Right. I, and I feel <laughs> like like you know, dancing is meant to provoke and evoke an emotion, and you know there there are some judges that kind of sit there like stoically, like you know impress me. And I kind of want to turn around to them and go, do you see what you're looking at right now? And they just don't get it. No, you know, the, I mean, okay. So I, I'm not going to go off on this for too far, but um, there's a, 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 actually a meme that I saw recently that I absolutely loved. And it was, I need to, to get my face to uh, start working with an inside voice or something like that. And it was <laughs> kind of the idea. And, and the concept of it is very simply like, I have a hard time hiding my my visceral reactions of my face. Mm -hmm. So some of us, like me, unless a dancer makes eye contact with me and I see that coming, you can usually tell it's on its way. It, mm -hmm. You know, especially as a judge, and I will make a point to smile at them. But mm -hmm. usually, I am very focused, and I try not to even raise an eyebrow when I see something that's screwed up or when something that's really bad. I don't want to go like, oh, you know. And I see a lot of judges do that, and it's like. Yeah, you need to basically stop telegraphing every reaction. Um, so for some of us that actually are really feeling it, we're also making an effort not to allow it to show. So it's not that we're not I feeling think, it. It's that we're trying to maintain a neutral plane for all competitors. Okay, hold on a minute. I, and I, I get where you're going with that. But, but I think if you're going to try to mask any emotion, it should be the negative. If it's a positive emotion, let it out. Competitors need to see and feel yeah that positivity. And I feel there are a lot of judges that, you know, don't give, you know, to the dancers. And I kind of want to turn around to judges and be like, they're out there. You're not. Yeah, that's so true. I'm always smiling when, when people are dead and I don't care what division it is. Now, if we're talking about a Jack and Jill where I'm walking around, that's a little different because I have to walk around and, and look at many things at the same time. But if I'm sitting on a panel and I'm watching classic or showcase or rising star, things that are spotlighted, I want them to know that I'm, I'm, I'm there for them. Take yeah. my positive energy and, and enjoy. Yeah. I enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people always ask me, they see me out there and especially in Jack and Jill where it's heated and it's and and I'm not just marching around the floor. I'm literally grooving and moving to the music. And everybody, I've had people look at me and start laughing. And it's like, wow, you look like you're having so much fun. I'm like, I'm just getting into the music. But on top of that, if I'm getting into the music and moving to the music, I don't have to count it. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I can tell, I can see that, I can feel the beat. So I can tell when someone else is off time. I got that statement. It's, I have to teach my facial expressions to use their inside voice. Right. That's a good saying. Yes. <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, good advice, uh, what advice do you give to competitors? Because I know you do some like uh, uh, competition um, workshops with people. What's some of the high-level stuff that you give to competitors? I'll tell you, that class is one of my favorite classes of everything I've ever done. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's sometimes it's hit and miss as far as the amount of people I mean that, that show up, and sometimes it's absolutely huge and just insane. But... Um, I think the biggest thing is to just stop taking it so seriously and to realize that West Coast Swing, because it is a social dance and a social interaction, it's not a question of if you're going to mistake, it's going to make a mistake. It's a question of when. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a question of how you will recover from and cover for that mistake. 
Um, if you get down on yourself or down on your partner for, because of the mistake, then that's, there's no coming back from that. Um, it's just, it's all about the social adjustment. You know, I, I, I use an analogy about West Coast Swing that I came up with a while back, and I, I don't remember exactly how long ago. And whether it's in competition or a social dance, I, I say, you know what, just think about the last great conversation you had with a friend over coffee you're an hour into it just chatting about stuff and you get on some crazy subject and you kind of look at each other and go, how the heck did we end up on this subject? Mm. That's happened to everyone. Mm-hmm. You don't go back and analyze it, do you? No. But that's the way every dance should be in West Coast Swing. You don't know how you got there, but the trip was amazing. Right. And I enjoyed point. every minute of it and I wouldn't change one thing. Mm-hmm. I don't care how things happened or what happened or how many mistakes happened. And let that mistake lead to something else. But um, as to be a little bit more specific instead of a more general overall feel thing, um, I, I, I say um, the big things, the big takeaways that I start with in all the classes is that number one, I think about 90% of the mistakes that I see on the social dance floor that are that the leader can uh, fix mm-hmm. is uh, based upon what I call a failure to check in. Um, the leader has a plan as to what he's going to do next, and he doesn't check in with his partner first to make sure she's in the right position to lead what he wants to do next. Right. And the key thing is, is it's planned. You know, what do they say about plans? You know, uh, they all, they never work. So the idea is, is that as a leader, you should have an idea of what you want to go to, to do next, not a plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that's about 90% of the leader, what the leader could fix. The other 10% that the leader can fix is spatial because to me it's, and we always focus on being too far away, but to me, in order to have a good conversation with your partner, you have to be able to see what your partner's doing. And if you're in a sugar push where you're literally, you know, this close to each other face to face, you can feel the person's breath on your cheek. And that's (laughs) the way you're on every sugar push. Can you see what they're doing with their feet in order to interact with what they're doing down with their feet or what they're doing in styling and, and work off of what they're doing to take it somewhere else to add to the conversation. If you can't see them, you can't react to them. Okay. So that's the leaders. Um, on the follower side, very much of it has to do with, it's this kind of crazy thing, but I always say it this way. Um, if I'm not looking at you, you better be looking at me. If you're looking at me and I'm not looking at you, you better stay looking at me till I'm looking at you. And then you can look away from me. Wow. That was a lot, but that's good. (laughs) Think about it. Because that's totally. the way a lot of the mistakes happen. The, yeah. the follower looks at their partner. He's not looking away. And then she decides to look away to do something else. I think and it's she stayed, that. It does happen yeah. on both sides. I mean, yeah. I say that. But but that's one that the follower could easily fix. Mm-hmm. Sure. And it would it, because the first two of the leaders, she can't do anything about. But that's something she can significantly influence. And a lot of times that has to do with a break in partnership. So that's what causes that break in partnership is because they're no longer visually connected and they don't know what the other person's doing and they get lost. It's like having a conversation. You don't look away when you're talking to someone. Yep. It's very good. Advice. That whole thing just reminded me of the jungle book, bare necessities. And he goes through like all the rhyming <laughs> words. <laughs> don't pick the prickly pear, by the paw. when you pick a pear, try to use the claw. It's like, what, what? Right. It made sense. It made sense. You've been awesome. Thank you so much for finally coming on the show. I know we've chatted about having you on here before, um, so I'm glad we finally got the chance to do it. Me too. It was thrilling. I'm glad to be part of it, and I keep up the great work. Um, I can't wait to listen to the podcast coming up. Excellent. What's the best way for people to reach you if they want to do that? 
Um, the best way is via email, garyjopes.gmail.com. I have a website, but it hasn't been updated in a while, so don't go there. But when it is updated, it's going to have information on a judge training program yes. that you all should look mm-hmm. for. So e- Eventually, yes. Keep an eye out. And don't forget, oh, it's Charlotte Westy Fest, my event. That's when is not that? a bad thing to mention. It's the first weekend in February every year, Super Bowl weekend. Awesome. If you want to share your thoughts and reactions with us, you can post a comment on our website. You can respond to our post on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. That's still around. You can also email Deborah and me through our site at thenakedtruthwcs.com or through our Facebook page. We always love to hear from you. To get the latest news from us, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, follow us on Instagram at thenakedtruthwcs, and yes, you can always follow us on Twitter at Naked Truth WCS. How many we got? 75-ish so far. Great. It's amazing. You can also buy some of our swag through our online store. We have limited supplies of men's and women's shirts with our logo and other fun designs. Just go to the Naked Truth WCS.com forward slash store to buy yours today. We can ship it to you or we can get it to you at an upcoming event. Again, that's the Naked Truth WCS.com forward slash store. Also, we will be at Bridgetown Swing, so if you want to get a shirt with us there, come find us. We'll be doing our show live, Bridgetown Swing, Saturday night after awards. And if you haven't already, you can always subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook, and if you're on iTunes, please rate us and give us a review over on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. And I'm Deborah. And that's the naked truth. Now, when you pick a pawpaw or a prickly pear, Ow! and you prick a raw paw, well, next time, beware. Don't pick the prickly pear by the paw. When you pick a pear, try to use the claw. But you don't need to use the claw when you pick a pair of the big paw paw. Have I given you a clue? Golly, thanks, Blue. Paw paw. Uh, of all the silly gibberish. Come on, Baggy, get with the beak. The bare necessities of life will come to you. They'll come to me. They'll come to you.